And so as we talk about failure today, I just want to make a general statement, whether you agree with me or not, but I believe it's true. Everybody fails. Everybody fails. You may, you may have failed a test in school or a quiz in school, or uh, I'm, my wife just went and got her uh, driver's license renewed uh, last week, and so she really studied really hard because she didn't want to fail, and fortunately she did not fail. She passed it, and... Uh, but she told me there was a young man down there that actually failed the test, and he went away pretty sad. And uh, I remember my first time when I went to get my driver's license. I was 16 years old. This was in Arizona. And I thought I knew it all. And so I went to take my driving test, and the instructor said I had to parallel park. Now, I had never practiced parallel parking, so it was pretty obvious that I didn't know how to do that. And so... Uh, the instructor failed me. So I failed at my first attempt at getting my driver's license. But we all fail, don't we? Sometimes we fail to make the team, the sports team. There were a couple of teams yesterday in the World Cup. I believe it was Chile and Uruguay. They failed to advance in the World Cup to the next level. There's a couple more games today. And, and uh, so some other teams will fail. Maybe you failed in a business venture. Or perhaps you, uh, you lost a customer. Perhaps you failed in a financial investment. Or maybe on your job you were, you were written up because you failed to perform. Right, Rick? Rick does lots of write-ups. Up, write no. Or pretty bad failure. Maybe some of you have been fired or terminated because of failure to perform. And then we talk about relationships. Sometimes with broken relationships, we failed. How many broken marriages are there? How many failed marriages? I'm sure if I were to ask in this room, a number of us would probably raise our hands. And yes, say, I've been involved in a failed marriage. Or I've been, I've been affected by a failed marriage. So failure. Failure. For some people... Failure is the end of the line. For, for others, it's just another step in the process of life. The Bible reminds us that the difference between true success and true failure is not determined by whether we fail, but whether we get back up after that failure. And how do we stand again? How do we get up again after experiencing failure? Well, this morning I want us to look at that disciple Peter. The disciple Peter, the apostle Peter... He was, one of the he was one of the closest followers of Jesus. He was actually in the inner circle of Jesus' disciples. He was the only disciple to walk on water. He sat under Jesus' teaching for, for nearly three years, witnessing miraculous healings, food being multiplied, demons being cast out, lives being transformed. And Jesus even referred to Peter as the rock. Because upon this rock, Jesus said, I will build my church. Yet when Jesus needed Peter the most, during Jesus' darkest hour, after he was arrested, after he was put on trial, and when Peter was accused by being one of them, one of Jesus' followers, Peter denied Jesus. And it says this in Matthew. Peter says, I don't know him. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't even know the man. And when asked a second 
and a third time, this time by a, a young servant girl, if he knew this man, Jesus. Matthew 26, 74 says, Then Peter, then he began to call down curses on himself. And he swore to them. And he said, I don't know the man. What a disappointment. What a failure. Peter lied. Peter de denied. Peter disowned Jesus when Jesus needed him the most. You know, people sometimes ask, what's the worst sin a person can commit? Well, the truth is that all sins are ugly and all sins are destructive. But to deny Jesus, to reject Jesus, to go so far as Peter did was to invoke a curse on himself and swear as if he was, as if he was in a court of law that he never knew Jesus at all. This sin must be among the worst. And that's the sin that Peter committed. The Bible says that after Peter denied Jesus Christ for the third time, it says Peter went out. Peter went outside and wept bitterly. It was a dark night of the soul for Peter. But have you ever felt that way? Have you ever done something that you felt was so shameful that you said, it will never be the same? I've messed up so bad. I have to carry this guilt and this shame with me for the rest of my life. God could never use me now. I'm sure that's how Peter felt at that moment in his life. You can just imagine those few days. He was alone, afraid. Guilty, embarrassed, ashamed. I want you to fast forward now three days. The crucifixion had taken place. Jesus had been placed in a borrowed tomb. And now it's Sunday morning, which we know now is Easter Sunday morning, resurrection morning. The woman had come to the tomb to anoint the body of Jesus. And when they came to the tomb, there was no body. But there was an angel. And the angel said this to the ladies. The angel said, do not be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He is risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. But go and tell the disciples and Peter. He is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. The phrase I want to bring out is when the angel said to the ladies, go and tell the disciples. And Peter, Peter's name was mentioned very specifically here. All of the disciples had run away. They had abandoned Jesus. All of the disciples had abandoned Jesus silently. They had just sort of crept away through the night. But Peter's rejection of Christ was loud. And it was public. And how could he now be a part of this group of disciples anymore? Peter had failed. He had failed miserably. It was a failure of epic proportion. But you know what? That's not the end of the story. Do you know why? Because Peter's God. Because our God is a God of forgiveness. And our God is a, a God of restoration. And you know what happened next in Peter's life? Peter was forgiven. 
Peter was restored. He became a leader in the church. Just a few weeks after these events, Peter was back in the saddle, so to speak. He preached on the day of Pentecost, just a few weeks later. And it says more than 3,000 people were saved. People were healed as a result of Peter's prayers. God spoke to Peter in dreams and visions. Peter was thrown in prison at one point and then miraculously set free. And if all we know about Peter was that he was a fisherman and that he had denied Jesus three times, then you would be surprised to discover that the Peter in the rest of the New Testament, in the book of Acts, was not the same Peter as we know of in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They really seem like two different people. When one reads First and Second Peter that, that he authored, you would be surprised that he didn't even mention, not even once, the time that he denied Christ. He didn't seem to be a man overcome with guilt. Instead, he spoke with authority and confidence. He told his readers to practice self-control, to be holy, to avoid hypocrisy, and to live for God. How can he write with such boldness when he failed so miserably and so publicly? You see, Peter experienced the restoring grace of God. He found out what it truly means to have your slate wiped clean and to be given a second chance. No matter how far you've fallen, no matter how many times you've failed, you are never too far down to be picked up and cleaned up and given a new start. You see, our God is the God of second chances. He tells us in his word, in Hebrews 8.12, For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. If you have failed, you can experience the same kind of restoration that Peter experienced. The same kind of power brought back into your life. The power that propelled Peter from a pathetic failure to a fearless leader. And the question this morning is, how do we get there? If you have disappointed yourself and everyone around you, if you're struggling with guilt and perhaps unable to let go of what went wrong yesterday, how do you experience the restoring power of God's grace? How do you make that comeback that Peter did? Well, this morning, let me just suggest three things, three simple things to help us to reconnect with God. And the first one is, number one, you can write these things down if you want to. How do we restore, get our restored back to God? How do we reconnect with God? Number one is keep the door open. Keep the door open. Turn to your neighbor and say, keep the door open. Turn to your other neighbor and say, keep the door open. You know what? There are many people who fail, and because of their guilt and shame, they close the door to any chance of reconciliation. Listen to this. They make God's decision for him. They decide, ah, God's through with me. I won't bother him again. And you know what? That's what Judas Iscariot did. You know, he's the disciple that betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Now, he didn't expect that Jesus would be condemned to die. And he tried to give the money back to those who bribed him. And he told them, I've 
I've betrayed an innocent man. But the temple leaders replied to Judas, we don't care. Just, just go away. Go away. Well, Jesus, where Judas didn't wait to see what would happen next. He didn't consider the possibility that he could be saved or that he could be forgiven or that he could be restored. Instead, he went out. And as the Bible says, he, he took his own life. He was, in, he was in such despair that he took his own life. But I honestly believe that had he not done this, had he not taken his own life, I believe that the angel in the tomb would have said on that first Easter Sunday to the women, go and tell his disciples and Peter and Judas that Jesus is alive. You see, Judas closed the door on the possibility of God's grace. And there are many people who, who symbolically do the same thing today. They close the door on the possibility of God's restoring grace. I remember as a Salvation Army cadet, probably more than 30 years ago, my summer assignment. I was assigned to Colorado. I was assigned to a federal prison in Denver, Colorado, as a chaplain intern. And I recall one day talking to a young inmate. He was only 21 years old at the time. And he was in prison, in federal prison, for murdering his best friend. It's a tragic story indeed. As I tried to share with him about the grace and the forgiveness offered by God, he kept saying that he knew God at one time. And that he was quite active in his church at one time. But what he had done was so horrible that God would never forgive him. And that he couldn't even enter the door of a church again. And so I said to him, are you, are you really saying that you're through with God? And he said, no, I'm not through with God. But God's through with me. He can never forgive me. And I told him... You're wrong. You're absolutely wrong. Now, I have no idea what the future holds for you, but I know this, that God is not through with you, that God loves you with an everlasting love, that his mercies are new every morning. Now, I don't want to minimize the gravity of his sin or any other kind of sin, but if God can use a man like Peter after walking with Jesus for three years, and he actually stood in the public square and shouted at the top of his lungs that he did not know Jesus, that he had no connection at all with Jesus Christ. If God can use a man like Peter after that kind of sin, then he can use you and me in spite of our sins too. So keep the door open. Keep the door open to God's grace. Now, don't understand or misunderstand or misinterpret what I'm saying. I'm not saying that it's okay to sin, that to just sin all you want and God will forgive you and there will be no consequences. No, I'm not saying that. I've known a lot of people who have sinned and who have fallen and who have been restored. And I am one of them. And none of us, none of us would say that was easy, that was worth it. I'd like to do it again sometime. 
Because sin is ugly and sin is destructive and there will be consequences for our sin. But I want you to know that your sin will never have more power than God's grace. You can be restored. So no matter what you've done, no matter how you feel, keep the door open. Don't close that door on God's love and God's grace. And here's the second thing to help us get reconnected with God. Keep the door open. And secondly, keep the light on. Keep the light on. What do I mean when I say this? If you want to experience the restoring grace of God, then make sure you continue to allow His light to shine in your life. No matter what happens. Let me be a little bit more specific. How do we keep the light on? First of all, read the Bible. Read the Bible. David wrote in Psalm 119, Your, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light for my path. When you read the Bible, you encounter people like Peter and like David and Jonah and Abraham, people like Moses, all failures who foolishly turned their backs on God and committed sins that a man of God shouldn't commit. Yet they were all miraculously restored by the grace of God. And if you feel far from God, if you feel far and distant from God, reading the Bible will help you reconnect with Him. The words of Scripture will speak to your heart and will help you find your way home. Another way to keep the light on, make an effort to pray. This sounds really simple stuff. Things we learned in Sunday school. Read your Bible and pray every day. But sometimes when we feel far away from God, when we've distanced ourselves from Him, we don't feel like reading the Bible. We don't feel like praying. And there are times when we struggle with sin and we feel guilty and, we've, and we're full of shame and it's so hard to say anything at all to God because we're so sure that he has nothing to say to us. But it's in these moments, it's in these moments that your prayers are most important. There's an old saying that says, pray hardest when it's hardest to pray. Pray hardest when it's hardest to pray. You see, for me, it's hardest to pray when I feel like I'm God's biggest disappointment. But that's when it's most important to pray. If you don't have the right words to pray, work your way through the book of Psalms and say these words to God. You'll find that King David often felt that it was difficult to pray. That sin often got the best of him. That he often felt that God was too distant to hear his words. And he prayed his way through these troubled moments. So make an effort to pray. It takes a little bit of discipline and intention. And a third way to keep the light on is this. Hang out with God's people. Hang out with God's people. That's what we did yesterday with the men. We had fellowship with brothers in Christ. And let's not kid ourselves because I hate to see they say this, but some of God's people or some who claim to be God's people, sometimes are critical. 
and judgmental and condescending. Avoid them. Avoid them. But you know that there are some people in your life who are like Jesus. Their arms are open and their hearts are accepting. And they're willing to help you get back on your feet. Seek out these people and and let them minister God's grace to you. And let's remember, here at the Croc Center, at our church, we need to be an ohana of grace. We should be extending grace to everyone. So keep the door open. Keep the light on. And here's the third thing and final thing that you can do to experience God's restoring grace. Keep the fire burning. Keep the fire burning. There were two things that contributed to the change that occurred in Peter's life between the time he denied Jesus and the time of his wonderful victorious ministry ministry in Christ. And the first one is that he got serious about loving Jesus. He got serious about loving Jesus. There's a well-known story in John 21. This takes place after the resurrection. And Jesus Christ appeared several times to people after his resurrection, before he ascended up into heaven. And Jesus and Peter are on the seashore having a conversation in which Jesus restores and he reinstates Peter to his position of leadership. And you can see see it in the verses here. But three times, Jesus asked Peter, Peter, do you love me? And three times, Peter responds, yes, Lord, I love you. Now, there's a lot of stuff going on in the conversation, but but what's important to know is that Jesus challenged Peter to love him more and to serve him by serving others. And so Jesus asked Peter, Peter, do you love me? And Peter, for the first time, said, yes, Jesus, you know I love you. And then Jesus says, well, then feed my lambs. And then Jesus asked Peter again, Peter, do you love me? And Peter said, yeah, Lord, I already told you, I love you. Then take care of my sheep. And then for a third time, Jesus said, Peter, do you really love me? Peter was a bit flustered. And he had to think for a moment. And then it began to sink in. I said, I love you, but I denied you, Jesus. I turned my back on you. Are these just mere words that I'm saying? And Peter said for the third time, Jesus, Lord, Master, you know that I love you. Then Jesus said, then feed my sheep. If you really love me, show me that you love me by taking care of the flock. How do we keep the fire burning? You see, the fire of the Christian life is not in the rituals. The fire of the Christian life is not in the traditions or the songs we sing or the sermons or the potlucks or the volleyball games or anything else. The fire of the Christian life is in your love for Jesus Christ. This comes first above all else. It's why Jesus said that the greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. And so if you want to experience the restoring grace of God, take a look at your heart 
and seek to give it back to him. It may be hardened and uncaring today, but ask him to turn your heart of stone into a heart of flesh. Ask him to help you love him more. Another way to keep the fire burning is to seek the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, after the resurrection, before Jesus ascended into heaven, he told his disciples in Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes to you. A crucial part of the restoration process is an experience with the Holy Spirit. You cannot live your life in your own power. You can't walk in your own strength. You need the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul said in Galatians 5, Live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. He's saying that living your life outside of the Holy Spirit's power leads to failure. It leads to sin. It's what got you in the mess in the first place. But after Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, his life completely changed. He began to walk in the power of God, and God began to work through him. So if you want to be restored by the grace of God, open your heart to the Holy Spirit. Ask him to come and fill you with his presence and with his power so that you can live the life that God has called you 